You're listening to The Jolt with Larry Flick on Sirius XM Out Time to take a look at the uh, world of uh, musical theater with our very own Keith Price. Go on, girl. All right. Well, we are back. The Backstage Skinny is back. Had a fun summer so far. The theater has kind of, you know, it's been a good summer with interesting shows that have just opened. There's The revivals are still popping. The shows are doing. This is from The King and I. And I wanted to start with this because... I finally, finally, finally got a chance to see The King and I last weekend. and Terrible. No. Horrible. No. Garbage. Contrary, honey. (laughs) No. It was so lush and so beautiful and just, I I truly was like gobsmacked when I (laughs) sat through that show because it opens with this wonderful, you know, view of the pit orchestra where the orchestra is starting the overture that you're hearing in the background and... All of a sudden, as we get ready to roll into the opening scene, the slat comes over the top of the, the the orchestra, and this beautiful boat comes out of nowhere into the center stage, and it's like literally filling the entire room. And Kelly O'Hara is, I know why now she won the Tony. I was having an attitude before. I kept thinking it wasn't going to be for real, for real for her, but it was so amazing. And... I truly, you know, again, like I said, I get too excited when it comes to the theater as it is in general. But this particular show, if you guys are planning your trips to New York City, the the shows that I'm going to talk about over the next 15, 20 minutes or so, these are shows that I think you should really try to find a way to get to see because they are all interesting. And it's so fascinating that we were talking earlier a little bit about, you know, off air, about like the state of America in terms of like race and things. And there are so many different things happening in the world of theater in New York City, like all of the things I'm going to cover today are all shows that have some sort of interesting bend or twist towards something that we don't necessarily get to talk about a lot on stage nor in the news. And so the first thing, like I said, is The King and I, and here we are again. This is like, you know, a a wonderful reboot. It's a wonderful story about the King of Siam and Anna from, you know, the 1800s. And these characters are all entwined in this wonderful celebration of Asian culture in a bizarre way. And it's so beautiful to watch. It's so beautiful to see how they've captured it. It's so beautiful to see how they've choreographed it and kept it so... Like, I forget how beautiful the work of Rodgers and Hammerstein is when it's put in front of you. Because you think, oh my God, this show is so old. This is such an old show. But it's like the themes, the, the music, everything about it was absolutely perfect from top to bottom. So again, Lincoln Center, shout out. Um, this week, I was hoping that I was going to get a chance earlier to talk to Jose Lana, who is the man who now has just replaced Ken Watanabe, who was the king. And I got to see him last week, and he promised to come in later this week and, and chat with me. And so when that chat is available, I'm going to put that up online on the Backstage Skinny uh, behind the curtain page that we have on Facebook, as well as on SoundCloud. So all of the things that you're going to hear, the clips of interviews from here will be available, so you may get a chance to hear the whole interviews in their entirety. So the first show that I want to talk about that just recently opened as well is a show called Amazing Grace, which is the first musical that started this new season in the early part of the summer, and it's based upon this 
the story of how the song Amazing Grace became whatever it is to people today. But the thing about the show that was very odd for me, and it's because I have this thing about when I see slaves and slavery being portrayed on stage, it just really just, it hits me in a real visceral place. And I Mm. guess, you know, because of our history. But again, very well done. Um, it's it's a little hard because they explore something in this show that people do not generally talk about. And this was something that I had a conversation with Dale with after we saw the show. And it's like, you know, we spend a lot of time in American history looking at slavery in this, this perspective that it's the white man that did this awful thing. And, you know, the Europeans took advantage of everyone and they did what they did. And colonialism is what it is. But one of the things that they explored in this piece that people do not talk about in general is that there were tribes of people in Africa who were capturing other tribes of lesser energies and putting them up for sale as well. That's how lots of the slaves initially were able to come over. And then eventually mm. things kind of happened. And it is this wonderful piece with um, this young actor named Josh Young who plays the lead. And I'm telling you, there is a Tony Award winning performance again, by this man named Chuck Cooper. If you don't know who he is, you need to look him up. He has already won a Tony once before for the show The Life that happened in the late 90s with Lilius White and uh, Pamela Isaacs, and our friend Sam Harris was in that show as well. Mm -hmm. But he gives this, like, breathtakingly fabulous performance kind of as a narrator and also as one of the slaves in the show, and he kind of moves the story along. And, again... I found the show to be very tense for me, and I don't like to be tense, tense like that, but I also understand that that when you're talking about theater, these things are supposed to happen, and so, you know, voila, live your life. Amazing Grace is one of the shows you should put on your list if you if you feel so inclined. But it's one of those things that sounds exhausting. It it was a little tiring, but it was it was so well done. I mean, it sounds worthwhile. It sounds like. Like a healthy meal with nothing yummy in it. Yeah, but it but it's just like and after a while you need you know I need some sweets or something or just a, little something. a little salsa on top. But, <laughs> but val- I mean valuable, necessary, but you need some sort of reward for enduring the tough part. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't sound like there's a reward other than feeling smarter and better for it. For and which you know, should be enough, but um, sometimes for hundred and seventy five dollars a ticket, maybe you <laughs> give me a little salsa, a little soft shoe. <laughs> Well, that's just me. But it's but I mean I'm telling you though there are some performances in there that are really just amazing. So okay. again, amazing grace if you're thinking about doing the Broadway scene. And of course, the show that everybody has been talking about Hamilton. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I'm only laughing because about a week ago we were talking about how the producers of this show are so confident about its future that they're only allowing Tony voters to see it during this very small window of opportunity. And I think it's a reasonable window, but there's a lot of hubbub because it's during vacation season, darling. Right. And you know what's so funny? The the guy who put that out, Michael Riedel, he tends to be more of a shit stirrer than an actual reviewer. I know, but you know, the but three weeks is a fairly wide open, open range. You know, because in the end, by the time we get to the spring when all the other musicals are opening it's sort of like people are coming to town and spending their money to try to see that, and they are trying to make their money. Well, this is their only opportunity. You know, and God bless music lyrics and books by Lynn Manuel Miranda. This guy is absolutely becoming, in his own way, his own personal Sondheim. You know what I'm saying? Like, he is, ha- he has 
such a unique voice and his his presentation is so unique. He's gotten these really great creative people behind him. They're actually now the they're recording the uh, cast recording for this 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 monumental piece of, of theater and they're doing it something that I it, like you can attest to this because I'm not very sure like how the music business part of it works mm-hmm. but they have uh, Atlantic Records I think is producing it yeah and the lot, roots the guy from the roots are doing it and what they're doing is that they're doing it like old school album piecemeal like they're taking chunks of uh, cast members and recording them on different days over the next few weeks mm-hmm. so that it's not like the regular cast recordings when they do them because most of the, the Broadway shows what they do is they'll wait until a Monday after they've already done eight shows for the week and they'll do it all in one day and they'll do it all in one day yeah. and sometimes you get the greatest recordings and sometimes you don't necessarily get the best of the people that are performing and so mm-hmm. this is an opportunity that they're taking slowly to do this and so I got to actually talk to one of the, the leads from the show this guy named Christopher Jackson who was also in Lynn's earlier piece called uh, In the Heights and he just I, I was I was floored by him I just I found him to be so fascinating he's so you know he's playing George Washington this mm. black man is playing George Washington and that is the genius of this piece and so the first thing I was talking to him about is like, how does he view himself in this show? I have only ever really been good at two things, and that's music, and that's arguable, <laughs> and history. I've always been fascinated with history. And so to see uh, such an important, you know, pivotal moment in, in, in modern history being portrayed by people that look like me is quite a, quite a, it's a, as an actor, it's a thrilling experience. I can only imagine what it's like to be an audience member and allow that to wash over you over the course of the, the, you know, the show and the, and the telling of the story that we're doing. And again, so amazing. And what I, I found very great is that what he says about what this show means to people of color just in general to see and what it, how it can be reflected in terms of our just everyday life for young children of color. As an actor, it feels great to be in a show that people want to see. You know, um, as an actor of color, it, it feels as exhilarating as you can possibly imagine. It. Um, to those of you that don't understand or know a lot about the show, I invite you to to look it up. There's a yes. lot. There's a lot to lot more to read about it uh, exactly. as of to, you know the last couple of days. But you know, um, I was having this discussion with uh, with someone after the opening the other night and. And they were, you know, discussing the idea of seeing a black George Washington and seeing a black Thomas Jefferson and the kinds of conversations in which that can, you know, obviously spark. The parallel that I drew was, and I'm borrowing this from a friend of mine who said, you know, when a, when a third grader walks into a public school anywhere in this country, one of the first faces that they're going to see is a portrait of Barack Obama on that, on that wall. And regardless of what your politics are, whatever leanings you have or, you know, whatever, not even bringing that into the equation. A child of color for the first time in our nation's history can understand that just that, that, that portrait that they see every day represents what their possibility can be. And if you ain't never had that, it's hard to understand just how significant it is. Um, regardless of what, what if you're, you're apolitical, regardless, however you feel about what the president has done, the, the, how symbolic that, that alone, just that alone. I had I, I seen that. a show like Hamilton when I was 10, anywhere from 10 all the way up through, you know, high school, college, mm-hmm. it might have completely changed the, the direction of, of what I do for a living. And 
you know, I feel the same way just having seen that show because there is a lot. You know, our girl Cristela Alonzo, who was on the show, had the, the you know her one season. She and I were tweeting back and forth, and she'd said to me, she said, the thing about this show is that it just shows that even as an actor of color, no matter where you are, because there's everyone in this cast, that you can be anyone as an actor. And I thought that was so genius. And so one of the things about this show that is so fascinating is that he's also using hip hop as a part of this. Lin-Manuel Miranda is using a huge chunk of it. And so I had to ask him how, this influence. How has it worked for putting this with the show? Hip hop is still checking all the idea, the conversation. We still have to all check ourselves, no matter what side of the divide that you're on because it's the greatest American art form since jazz to actually show and, and leave evidence of evolution hmm. and of that ripple effect. Like it's actually happening in front of our eyes. We see the form itself take so many shapes they can't even be measured. And now we see it in our television. We see it in our vernacular. Stuart Scott, bless, you know, rest his soul, may he rest in peace, introduced the kind of vernacular that as high school kids, I, all of my white friends were using. Right. All the booyahs, all of those little <laughs> things, right? But, but, but for some reason, the, who's the, it's sort of like you, you, you line everybody up and say, okay, who doesn't get it? And nobody wants to raise their hand because everybody really gets it, but we expect that no one, should, we shouldn't allow it to actually permeate every part of our society. I think that's a beautiful thing that Lynn does. It's, it's not a gimmick. It's not something yeah. that he's, you know, Lynn is a brilliant dude. Lynn's going to be brilliant whether he raps, whether he sings, whether he writes something for someone else to sing. I can attest to you that the best songs that I have ever sung were by Lynn Miranda, and they didn't have a single rap lyric in them. It's not like the, you know, the guy clearly gets it. He he's a he is. We're looking at the evolution of a of a, of a young brother who is influenced by this jazz, by this this amalgamation of all these beautiful flavors mm -hmm. and is smart enough to know how to put them all together in a, in a way that we can really enjoy it. So I can't say it any better. He articulates it the best. It is one of the hardest tickets to get. If you are making your trips to New York City at any point in time, you know, you need to go ahead and get on the Hamilton website and try to figure out how you're going to make that work for you. Because I, I can guarantee you that you will never see anything like that again. And as we've talked before, not since the chorus line have I seen anything like, like this. Now, moving from the big white stage on Broadway to mm -hmm. the off-Broadway thing, one of the things that I love about off-Broadway, and you certainly can attest to this too, is that that's the chance where you get to see people testing and challenging a lot of thought because you can't necessarily make things super uber commercial on Broadway and expect you know people are going to get down with this and one of the shows that's actually opening this week is a show called Informed Consent and it's written by this woman named Deborah Lawfer and it's directed by uh, Liesl Tommy and it's being presented by this group called The Primary Stages and it is this odd interesting thing it was based on it's a native it's, we're talking about native americans on stage and the issues that they're dealing with by maintaining their culture maintaining their sense of self in a world where it's not necessarily expected for them to be able to do that and this actually the 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 basis for this play was based on a lawsuit that happened back in 1990 where a tribe of of indians or I shouldn't say indians the native americans were being brought into a study in which they were asked to submit their blood for testing to see what the deal is about maybe the possibility of diabetes within the tribe. And 
you know, having had surgery, that when you sign that consent form, the consent form is supposed to tell you everything that they're supposed to be doing to you and what can happen to you. Mm -hmm. And so these this group of people in this thing signed this form and wound up having their blood tested for everything else except basically the things that they were supposed to be tested for. And they wound up bringing a suit against this woman who had spearheaded this thing. And I, the woman that wrote the play, I was like, first of all, you're not even a Native American. So, like, why are you even all up in this mix? What first uh, interested me about um, about the story was I saw the New York Times article, and what what interested me was the clash between science and religion, which I really am fascinated about, and I I've written about um, in other plays. But one of the main features of the play is that it's about who are we? Are we our DNA? Are we our history? Are we our genome? Um, are we our stories and the stories that get handed down? And so one of the things I've really had to grapple with is, is this my story? Is it my story to tell? You know, I'm, I'm talking about a very small tribe. They're very isolated. There's only 600 of them left. And really, is it, is it my place to tell their story? And yet, I feel like it's a story that has to be told. Um, so uh, there's definitely uh, tension in that for me. It's not an easy, uh, obvious path that I took. And again, as we always talk about, especially in this room, that when we want to see things happen or see change happen, it tends to come from our allies and the help of our allies. And for someone to be so moved by a story to want to pursue this through her art, I thought was so ingenious. And one of the things that's really great, because again, in the world of Native Americans on the stage, the only thing I can think of, and maybe you can tell me differently, is Annie, get your gun. This is the only time I remember seeing anything Native American on a stage, on yeah, a main I can't stage. Think of anything. And I couldn't think of anything. And so there's this wonderful actress that's in this play. Her name is Delani Studi. And I didn't realize this until we were talking that she was Native American. Well, I play Arilla Namita. And Arilla is, um, she's a representative of the tribe that Jillian goes to in order to do the blood study. And so, um, as an enrolled citizen of the Cherokee Nation, this was a play that really struck home to me because uh, we don't get a lot of publicity or press about our Native issues. And as a Native woman, we hardly ever see strong Native women playing contemporary characters. And so for me, this was a great opportunity where I get to do a play where I don't feel like I'm sacrificing my gender or my culture. And again, who, who would have thought that, that that would be something that we would wind up seeing on a main stage? anywhere because again it is a story that i i didn't know anything about i don't know if you knew anything about it but it's sort of like these are those those moments in time in which someone has captured and brought to our attention and it the discussions can only happen i think truly in the world of theater in, the, in an art form to where it reaches the masses and then everybody figures it out and one of the women that i talked to also who was in this place is fabulous sister her name is myra lucretia taylor and she Myra Lucretia Taylor. Yes, honey. That's a name. That's for real. And she's when you Myra Lucretia Taylor. When you see that name, you know what's coming around the corner when she Big walks feet. in the room and turning you out, honey. But she said something to me that I thought sums up what's happening in our country right now when it comes to the conversation on race. I think we're in a. Uh, this is a good time in American history 
I'm going to use that word again. We are interrogating a lot of the assumptions we had, assuming that we knew everybody's story. You know, you've seen, uh, say, Westerns, so you think that that's what the Native population is all about. But I think we're, we're at a time, and this is a young country, but we're at a time when we're kind of opening our vision. We're, we're seeing more of the family. We're available to it. We're able to accept it now. And move forward. And I think that that's a genius thing. So, again, something that you wouldn't expect to see on a stage happening off-Broadway. You may not necessarily get your ticket to Hamilton, but if you are really somebody who loves the theater enough to want to explore the, the I think, the beauty that theater offers you in terms of understanding other people and other cultures, this is a great opportunity. And so for the last show that we're going to talk about on the great off-Broadway stage is a wonderful show called King Liz. And... Um, it's got a very short run, so you may not be able to catch it if you have later plans to come. But if you're going to be in New York in the next two to three weeks, you should make an effort to come because the show just got extended. And it is a story about a sports agent who is a woman because, again, the roles for women on stage, not necessarily overly explored. Roles for women of color on stage, not necessarily explored. And it's this wonderful short play that um, – my dear friend who I love dearly, this fabulous actress, excuse me, named Karen Pittman, who you may remember, I talked a lot about her last season on Broadway because she was in that play Disgraced and how her role in Disgraced was so, um, it was just something I had not yet seen from Sisters on the Stage. And I was very pleased to see where she stood as a, a an actor in, in, in the form of what she's doing. And it was all about this role. King Liz is a play written by Fernanda Coppell, uh, and uh, Fernanda is um, Mexican-American. Uh, oh, she has a particular uh, perspective on what it's like to be in a man's world. She has written in TV and TV series before, um, and uh, she's a really smart, intelligent writer who has created this story about a woman who is exploring her own ambition, her desire, her power, and her hunger for power um, in the world of sports entertainment. Uh, she's at the top of her game, and uh, she is reaching uh, for the uh, a golden ring. And uh, in the process of trying to get there, she has to take on a client who is uh, a bit troublesome, uh, but very, very promising. And um, through that process, she sort of discovers some things about herself and about her uh, understanding of power and what it be, means to be a woman in the world. And she, again, if you look up Karen Pittman's name right now online, you will see that the, the reviews for her performances have been over the moon. Christopher Isherwood from The New York Times all but, you know, had his way with her <laughs> in his review. But what I love about Karen Pittman is, is that she is very clear about how she chooses her roles and the things that she wants to do on stage. And, and she kind of has like a methodology of how she wants to do it. Well, it's very important for me to do characters that are real human beings, characters who um, are imbued with a sense of um, humanity, but are also uh, women that are aspiring to create something uh, in the world and um, not just in uh, what they say but in their behavior so my goal as an actor is to uh, transform into these characters to pull an audience in right to serve an audience through the words of the playwright and through a collaborative effort with the director in order 
for the audience to see themselves on the stage, to be transformed emotionally in those moments and take those stories home with them. That's the goal of what we do. And when uh, Fernanda and Lisa brought this play to me um, months before we started actually rehearsing it, I had the opportunity to read it. I thought, this is an incredible story. This is this is the story I want to serve. This is the character that I want to um bring to life, pull off the page, bring to life and make a, a, a 5D person uh, on stage, which is really what it's about. I mean, as an actor, you want to create uh, characters that are are bigger than life. And that is exactly what she does in this piece. And so, again, making your trips, making your plans, seeing these these smaller shows and supporting these artists who you know Karen Pittman you may not necessarily know her but if you're somebody who watches that show The Americans that's on FX she has a very prominent role on that show with Kerry Russell and I forget who the guy is that's on it but she, you know she has a little bit more cred than maybe someone that you think that you don't know anything about so I live for that and again if you can't see anything on Broadway, you can't make it to something off Broadway, then you can never go wrong with a cabaret act of your favorite Broadway show. And just recently, and Larry and I were both going to squeal, talking to Donna McKechnie, Tony Award winner from Chorus Line. Just last weekend, she had a wonderful little run at 54 Below here in New York City. And I understand that she's going to be also going on tour. So you have to go to DonnaMcKechnie.com to find out what cities that she's going to be coming to. But she just recently released her latest CD, I guess it can be. And it's called Same, what is it called? I'm sorry. Same Time, Another Place, which is actually the title of the cabaret show. So she has taken her stories of her life during the the rockin', fabulous 70s and kind of added a soundtrack of songs that really reflect her experience and, and what she loves. And still, and you will gag at this, I didn't know that she was 72 years old. First of all, A, look snatched, snatched from the gods, still giving you full voice giving you everything and one of the things that I had to ask her is like how do you how do you still stay in this game well it's I, it, I, I guess it's my nature you know to I when I was a kid I used to fantasize about dancing I never fantasized about having children and a and a picket fence I, those weren't my fantasies I always saw myself dancing on a stage and I always, always saw myself singing. I was one of those little girls who would hold the, the brush up like this in front of the mirror and pretend I was a chanteuse and, wow. and mime to, you know, great singers. You know, in my case, Doris Day. <laughs> um, but, you know, Ella Fitzgerald, I mean, uh, and the music and the theater. I was a ballet girl who was turned 180 degrees when I, got, when I had to get a job to work in, in New York. I was, you, as you read in the book, mm-hmm. I ran away to become a dancer in New York, and I had to survive, and so I got a job in, I thought, okay, Broadway, mm-hmm. how to, how to succeed. succeed in business. And then I realized what an art, that I would want to dedicate my whole life to this work, where you tell stories through dance, singing, and that's that's what turned me into a professional student, frankly. Again, you cannot deny the talent that is Donna McKechnie. And the last thing that I was able to ask her because I was at this junket where they were like basically rushing her through was what, for someone who's lived from that period of theater where it was just uber fabulous, what are the things that you're excited about seeing now? I can't wait uh, to see Hamilton. I know it's a, it's like 
and, and when I, uh, I can't wait to see it. I saw part of it when I was downtown mm -hmm. before they left. And um, Oscar, who yeah. was the, you know, said, we are now, he invited the whole cast of a, a chorus line. He said, oh. this is what we go. It's like this 40 That's years amazing. ago, this was changing the face of theater as and Hampton is now. So I can't wait to see it. And she's right. That it's, and I felt like kind of bookending it with this because what they did in a chorus line was revolutionary in terms of the way theater was presented. And what's happening in Hamilton is somewhat revolutionary about the way theater is being presented. And so, you know, you got to go to get her CD, go to backstage skinning, come to the Behind the Curtain page on Facebook. All of the interviews that we have clips from were posted there. There's also on SoundCloud. And before we go, we have to give you the Tony winning moment that got Miss Donna McKechnie her Tony, honey. So that is your skinny. Booyah. All right. Stick around. There's more to come on The Jolt. A dancer dances Give me somebody to dance with Give me a place to fit in Help me return to the world of the living By showing me how to begin Play me the music Give me a chance to come through Listening to The Jolt with Larry Flick on Sirius XM OutQ.